The following live recording of Swami Vivekananda Saraswati is presented by agamayoga.com. So please settle down a few more minutes to continue to, to wrap up all these ideas which come from the study of the concept of evolution. Therefore, we spoke about deliberate and automatic evolution from your own decision that you decide to take responsibility for your own evolution. Remember that that means that evolution continues after death as well. That means if you can have continuity in the next life, it means that there is a bridge between this life and the next life, and it means that the development of the soul continues also when you are not incarnated into a physical body. That's why remember that the souls that are in the astral world also evolve in their own ways. They are different ways, but still the evolution continues. It's a constant process. As Rumi says in one of his beautiful poems, he says, in the known or in the unmanifest, you have always been connected to me. It doesn't mean if you are physical or disincarnate. You still are a soul, and your soul still obeys to the laws of evolution. And therefore, this process of evolution is a very, very, very big, very complex process. In the metaphysical workshop, I describe completely the full panorama of evolution with the spiritual practice and the others. Today, tonight, this is just a lecture which is a bit longer than planned already, but which is giving you the hint only about this process of evolution. Remember that also this means that this is what justifies the existence of the methods of spiritual practice. Methods of spiritual practice were conceived by men and women who are bored with a very slow evolution provided by daily life, and they wanted to do it, if possible, in one lifetime. Get to the seashore in this lifetime. Don't wait for a million years. Finish it now so that you can see what comes after. Also, when you look at the wheel of Dharma, that it has a starting point and a finish point, this also shows that there is evolution after humanity. If you are going to read the beautiful novel called Kamanita the Pilgrim by the Danish writer Gjellerup, I forgot his first name, Gjellerup in his book describes from Buddhist scriptures this story in which Kamanita himself, the hero of the book, like a sort of Siddhartha of Hermann Hesse, is going towards enlightenment, and because he doesn't reach full enlightenment, he becomes a deity. He becomes a superhuman being that is like the sun god of a solar system, and he is in charge of a whole part of the universe, like a governor of a great part of the universe, and that's not yet Buddhahood. It's something which is higher than human, but not yet having reached the ultimate perfection of enlightenment. And this also tells us the wheel of Dharma and the idea of evolution that tells to us that there is a destination. There is a finality. Like, where does this river go? 
It doesn't go into the nowhere. Everybody says, we presume that evolution is infinite. While that statement is correct philosophically, remember that factually, it, is not, it doesn't feel like this. All the spiritual traditions say that you are an ignorant, you are an animal, you are subjected to instinct, you evolve unconsciously, you get kicked by Mother Nature to progress, then you take initiative and you take charge of your own evolution, and at some point you reach a break point. There is a break point, and that break point, the Buddhists call it enlightenment, nirvana, satori, whatever, the, the Hindus call it moksha, mukti, uh, and so many other names are given to it. The Christians and uh, the generally in Judeo-Christianity and Islam, it is called salvation, eternal life, to live in the kingdom of heaven by the right hand of God. And all the spiritualities mention a, a glorious accomplishment, that there is a point after which you cannot relapse anymore. There is a sort of threshold level. And once you have gone over that threshold level, there is no more ignorance. No, Buddha, when he started his search, Buddha started his search because he was appalled by suffering, by old age, by death, by pain and misery. And he wanted to find a solution, a permanent solution. Therefore, there is a permanent solution. All the great spiritual teachers and all the great yogis have spoken about this permanent solution, which means there is like a graduation. It's not that you are in a school which goes forever. You are in a school which goes till graduation. And after graduation, you have become a doctor or a professor or whatever. You've become an engineer. And then there comes another part of the life where you still evolve, but you are what you are. You have graduated already. The schooling of the universe becomes different. Therefore, please remember, there exists a compulsory part of the evolution process. That's why there appears the idea of bondage and freedom. Both all the Hindu gurus, all the Brahmanic traditions from your Bhagavad Gita itself, Krishna therefore, because he speaks in Bhagavad Gita, Buddhist traditions, Jain traditions, such as Mahavir and others, all of them say the same thing. People are prisoners in samsara, and until they do not graduate with nirvana, they cannot be free because the schooling process is compulsory. You cannot exist in ignorance forever. It's simply unacceptable, because the spirit which is in every one of us is the spirit of God. It is a drop from the ocean. It doesn't belong to us. It's borrowed, it's loaned, it's a spark from the great fire of the cosmic consciousness. And therefore, we don't have the right to defile it forever, to keep it separate forever. It longs to return to the ocean where it came from. Therefore, we are only borrowing the spirit. A great yogi that I knew said, if you look carefully, you will discover that you can't be selfish at all. 
because we, the human beings, we are just loans. We are great loans from the universe. Everything we have is loaned. Our body is made of molecules that we eat and drink and breathe, and we loan it, and then we give it back dust till dust. It's clay. It's not nothing which belongs to us forever. Our prana is energy which we suck from the sunshine and from the earth, and we have this prana for a while, and after we die, we give it back to the nature. Our astral body, our mental body, and everything is energy which belongs to Shakti, to the mother of the universe. It's not us. We borrow this energy, and it converges around us for a while, not forever. And even the spirit, it's not ours. Even our spirit is part of the cosmic consciousness. And therefore, we are alone. We are completely not individuals. And that is why we cannot keep separate. And that's why it is the law of God. It is the Dharma. It is the law of the universe that we have to liberate our spirit. We have to reach to the knowledge of who we truly are and what we truly are. The God in our hearts screams for it, calls for it. We defile it and choke it every lifetime that passes and we don't allow it its freedom. We don't allow it to merge, to commune with the ocean from where it came from. No, Samsara, the movie, How Do You Stop a Drop of Water from Ever Drying Up? And the answer is on the back of the stone. You throw it into the ocean. Nobody can live as a drop. The drops dry up. We die. We are ephemeral. But we are eternal only because we are the eternal consciousness. And therefore, the idea is very clear. We have to go into the spiritual evolution and we don't choose that. We have to realize our divinity and that's compulsory. Our lower layers, reluctant as they are. No, it's Paul in the Bible who again says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I want to meditate the whole night, and my body, which is a piece of flesh, says sleep. You are tamasic. You are lazy. I don't have the nerve to sit up and meditate, although my spirit wants to do that. If I could I would do spiritual practice from morning till evening, like Milarepa. I would be relentless completely. But my mind, my emotions, my pranic body, my physical body, are all of them imperfect, impure, weak, and they are like a lodestone. I am carrying them and spiritualizing them in this movement, like my body and everything gets spiritualized and enlightened in this process. And that is why what I need to say is this. First of all, there is a goal. Salvation, enlightenment, liberation, what you want to call it. But remember that that is the compulsory goal. First, reach the ocean. First, discover who you are. First, become what you can be. And from there, after you graduated, after you became a medical doctor or a teacher or an engineer or whatever that means, then you can still live. It doesn't mean you are going to die. 
it means that only then you have become a grown-up conscious who can live in a conscious way. That's why remember that there is one form of evolution until one reaches the spiritual realization, like vertically going to the crown chakra. But when you have reached the crown chakra, where do you go? There is nothing above the crown chakra. Does it mean that when you reach Buddhahood, evolution has stopped? No, it never stops. So then the question is, how do Buddhas evolve? Therefore, remember that after enlightenment, there exists another form of evolution, which is like an infinite expansion of conquest of the universe through knowledge. Because, for example, I can reach the knowledge of who I am, and I can see that I am the cosmic consciousness. There is no other way it makes sense, and I can feel it and see it, but if I'm the cosmic consciousness, it means I should be omnipotent. It means I should be almighty. And why am I not? Because I still need to grow up horizontally. Like Ramana Maharishi of India, who was a fully enlightened spiritual practitioner, didn't even have the power to heal his own cancer or to stop himself from having nocturnal emissions. So weak his self-yogic control was because he was not practicing any of these lower forms of yoga which work on the physical body or on the others. And at the other end of the spectrum, Jesus is the one who raises the dead even when it seems impossible, like Lazarus was dead for four days. Who the heck bothers to raise dead people after four days in a tropical climate where they go rotten? and at the same time walking on water and seeing everything. And therefore, that's the difference between two enlightened beings. Both are enlightened. Both have graduated. Both know very clearly what consciousness actually is and where it comes from and who we are in this universe. But one of them is also extremely potent, omnipotent. Therefore, even spiritual masters, they have something to look forward to. They develop like the branches of the tree. They can grow up aiming the Shivahood, aiming the dancing Shiva condition where the universe is your playground and you master it through and through, exactly as the divine cosmic consciousness does. And therefore... <clears throat> Remember that evolution has different stages depending on when you are. Ignorant people, they only have this first discovery. I am prisoner in a process. I reincarnate ceaselessly again and again due to my subconscious desires, to my samskaras, to my vasanas, and I can't stop it, and it goes on and on. And sometimes some lives are pleasurable, some lives are painful, and I go on yin and yang and yin and yang and masculine and feminine and hill and valley and hill and valley until when? Until I take a decision that now I'm going to finish this off. I'm going to graduate. It's exactly like a lazy student, college student, who goes in the university and after 15 years 
he still didn't finish the university. He is just dragging his feet. There are people who finish their university master degree in three years, and this fellow has been doing it for the last 15 years. Then one day he says, I have to take my master degree. I'm completely fed up with university life. I'm 40 years old and I'm still a student in college. It's ridiculous. I have to finish this off. And this is the moment when evolution becomes deliberate. Therefore, this is the process of evolution until humanity and above humanity. Remember that there are intermediary levels, like a human being doesn't jump directly from human to Shiva. A human being can be somewhere in the middle. Even Patanjali, one of the founding fathers of yoga, says when you reach certain levels of development of Agnya Chakra, you can be invited by the gods to dwell with them in their paradises. But that's not the end of the road. Who wants to become a god when you can become an enlightened being, which is much more than a god? And therefore, uh, the spiritual travel is described clearly, and remember that enlightenment is not actually the end of that travel. It is a turning point in evolution, when finally everything becomes lucid, deliberate, conscious, and from that moment on, evolution follows a different direction. These were ideas which I wanted to convey to you tonight in this discourse. If you already sent your questions to Mihaela, she has them, and she's going to read them for me. Otherwise, of course, in late-night meetings and others, you can ask me more questions about this. It's not compulsory that you ask me in just this one discourse. It's also getting a bit late because we started with some delay. Therefore, again and again, uh, this was everything which I needed to say in this discourse. If I will receive any questions, I will answer those questions. And with this, we, have, we will finish. Is there any question that needs to be any one of you read it it doesn't matter whose voice it is please read it if enlightenment can be reached through humans what is the need for further physical evolution and how does it change the nature of spiritual evolution as a parenthesis as we expect that the next few million years will include forms of life that evolved from, from humans. How will their enlightenment be different from ours, and what would, will it take for physical evolution to end or stop? The question is very relevant, and the humoristic even, because your question says it all. You said, if the human being is good enough for reaching enlightenment, a precious human body and all the rest, what need would there be for further forms even higher forms of biological life. You got it. That's why there are no higher forms of biological life. The cosmic consciousness says it's enough. Now they got a form of conscious life. Therefore, everybody who is in that form of conscious life can reach nirvana. Therefore, what need indeed would be there for several of them. However, if you want to think in a gradual way, Remember that human beings 
are made three quarters of water on a planet of water. This is a Svadhisthana planet, a second chakra planet. No, we are not the lowest type of planet. Clairvoyants from Tibet, from India and others have actually declared that there are civilizations in this universe, whichever way you would put it, on other planets or in other parallel planes or something, which are inferior even to the earth, like more brutal, more animal, worse than the earth, really more engrossed in matter. So we are actually not the worst place in this universe. We are the second worst place in this universe. So we are on the second chakra. What would be if we would live on a planet or if this planet itself would produce bodies which were belong to the air element? And people would be like the birds, full of air, the heart chakra being the dominant chakra of the humanity. Those people would have a much easier course through spiritual practice, much easier recourse to aspiration, to selflessness, to life spiritual values, as compared to this humanity which is pulled back by the heaviness of its vadistana with all its drama, with all its emotions and with all its tragedies. And therefore, surely, if we would be born in a superior type of body, <clears throat> yoga, meditation, spirituality would be simply easier. That's why, <coughs> as you are going to hear in my discourse about Kali Yuga and the ages of humanity, the metaphysicians of this planet have stated for a long time that even the quality of the human body changes along history and from time to time there are historical periods where the bodies are superior. For example, in the Bible it clearly is mentioned that before the flood of Noah the earth was populated among others by some people which were called giants. There were giants and it even says the giants started having sex with the daughters of men. Who are these giants? We're talking about a different race. So actually, the Hindu scriptures say, yes, there was a time in, on this planet when we were in the Satya Yuga, where people were four to six meters tall, and they lived up to a thousand years of age, which Noah and Matushalem and all the kind of those they did. They lived 500, 600, 800, 900 years of age. Here are two completely different traditions which mention some people who would live a thousand years and who are no longer living on earth today. Therefore, <coughs> your question is half true and half untrue. It's half true because indeed the human body is enough and everybody in this room, if you are healthy, if your body is complete and you are not handicapped in any radical way, you can use this body to reach enlightenment. That's good enough. But this does not deny the fact that occasionally there can appear even better productions. Like Mother Nature can do better than this. We, for the time being, don't see anything better than this. And apparently we don't need it because today there are human beings who are born as humans and live as animals, eating, sleeping, procreating.
That's what Shivananda complains about. Eating, sleeping, procreating. A little laughter and a lot of tears. Is this all there is to life? <coughs> then he says, don't die like a worm. A worm! Swami Shivananda says, if you are eating, sleeping and procreating, you are a worm. You are not a human being. Get up and be a human being. Ask yourself the fundamental questions. Do what is there. Therefore, sometimes even the human body, the human body is even too good for some people. Some people would need something more like a gorilla body because it would satisfy them as well. Eating, sleeping, procreating, a bit of tribal life in the collectivity, alpha male, alpha female, you know, all the shenanigans of the gorilla society, you know. Some people would be very satisfied with those. It would be like, okay, that's good to live your life like a gorilla. Other people would say, no way. Who will read the Vedas then, no? If you want to read the Vedas, then you can't be a gorilla. The gorilla condition of existence is not sufficient. Then. Therefore, the question is pertinent, but remember that at different times of history or in other circumstances, you can conceive of something which is even more spiritual than the human body. The human body which we like, and we worship because it's our instrument and it is divine in the way it is, it is not unsurpassed. It is just the best we've got for now and we are working through it. It is our karma to be born on this planet. It is our ray of evolution and existence to be born on this planet from this biological lineage of evolution. And we try like a lotus flower, we grow in the mud, but then when we blossom, we blossom with the beautiful purity of the lotus flower. So even the mud can produce Buddhas. The human body is a bit of a mud, isn't it? You die and in three days you are eaten by the worms and stink abominably. Human body is not a big deal after all. It's a piece of fuzzy But it's like mud. But what a lotus flower can grow from this mud. And that is why Again, this is the best which we have got until now. It is enough. I have kept you late tonight. I will try in the future to start more in time and to finish earlier. With this, we have finished for tonight. Namaste. Enjoy the night and the spiritual thoughts which it brings to you. This was a live recording of Swami Vivekananda Saraswati. For more information, visit us on agamayoga.com or go directly to agamayoga.com slash downloads.